everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we have Andy Norman with us. He is the award-winning author of Mental Immunity and the founder of Circe, an institute dedicated to protecting minds from manipulative information. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Tyler. Nice to be here. Grateful to have you on. So first question I have for you, and this is probably typically the first question you get, but you do a pretty interesting thing. So when you were younger or maybe not when you were super younger, but like, what was it that made you even interested in this topic? Yeah, well, I was in college and you know how sitting around having a few beers and uh, kvetching about all the problems in the world. I was doing that and, (laughs) and I was reflecting on our species sort of sorry lack of wisdom. I mean, everywhere around, around us, we see people doing foolish things. And so I was complaining about it. And my friend turned to me and he said, Andy, why don't you quit complaining and do something about it? Um, so a week later, I declared my, uh, myself a philosophy major. And I've been studying uh, human wisdom and its opposite <laughs> ever since and trying to figure out how we can all become just a little bit wiser. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is going to be one of my favorite episodes because I talk about that a lot with my friends. Too. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. And it's strange though, because I like, because um, you said philosophy major. Like, I've and I'm, I'm trying. So I've read some Nietzsche. I've read some Carl Jung, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm forgetting who it was. There's some quote though that's like, basically something along the lines of like, when you think, when you isolate yourself and you think everybody else is doing the wrong thing, yeah. then you might want to reflect. Or something like I don't know, but it's interesting because I do feel that way all the time. But I then again, I always try to center myself and try to think like, why do I always think I'm right? Like, there's something wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of built into the way we experience things that we assume we're right about stuff, right? And and it's and when everybody else is thinking something different, it's tempting to just say, oh, they're all wrong. I'm right. (laughs) Because that's stokes the old ego right because that's true no <laughs> oh, well in my case i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> no, i'm just kidding so no that I, I just think that's that's interesting but i have had many of those uh conversations as well um so and this is just me looking at the first thing and i i happen to be and maybe you're not going to like me too much after this we'll see but like alex jones i i think that he seems to be correct often but yes he has made some huge Airs for sure. Yeah. And I think he would agree. Conspiracy theories, though, like what's your overall thoughts on those? Let's start there. And then I have some other questions. Yeah. Um, so a conspiracy theory offers a very simple story about where a lot of the world's problems come from. There's this big giant cabal of conspirators, and they're they're the unseen forces behind all of the things that's wrong with your life. It's a really seductive story. And when people feel desperate, conspiracy theories appeal to them. It gives them a sense that they, it gives them a sense that they can control a situation that feels out of control, because if you can take down the conspirators, you can take back control. Um, Uh, That makes sense. Okay. Right. And, and what's, but when you study how conspiracy theories work, I see people like Alex Jones using those seductive stories to hijack people's minds, to, to basically manipulate people into clinging desperately to his fantasies and stories. Now, I, I don't follow Alex Jones closely. Um, I, yeah. I, I, you may know more about 
some of the cases where he actually gets things right. I, um, I'm not familiar. I, I, I know this. I'm familiar with the stories where he's caught out saying something outrageously wrong and not just outrageously wrong, but tailored to stoke anger and outrage. And like when he, like when he claimed that the Sandy Hook shootings were, were a he just got crisis act. For that, right. I think it was like $40 million he got hit or something. $40 million. And if you listen to some of the news coverage on it, some of the parents who lost children in that, fight then had to face years of death threats from wow. Alex Jones followers and people who bought Alex Jones's nonsense. And these that just it just turned a tragedy into like this ongoing hell for many parents who didn't who deserved much better. And Alex Jones did not care enough about the truth. He didn't care enough about what's right and what's um and what might alleviate their suffering. He simply peddled the nonsense because it made him money. And the people who follow Alex Jones because they find his conspiracy theories seductive or whatever, they're helping to underwrite his operation, which I find detestable. Yeah, that makes sense. That was definitely probably his biggest error um, for sure. Um, I would say, well, I'll say two things, right? So I've read the the 48 laws of power, right? And one of the things that it says, I like I would imagine Alex Jones probably read that book and the one law of power, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's literally in his name, InfoWars. So w- one way to draw the crowd towards you is essentially to just go against the entire mainstream. And that seems to be his core marketing strategy. That that makes sense to me. And 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 one problem with with waging an information war in order to gain followers and influence and money is that you turn what should be a peaceful um, space into a, a battle zone. So when you turn a, a culture should be a nurturing place where we can all thrive together. And when you and when you prosecute culture wars in order to uh, pursue selfish ends. A lot of times you're tearing at the social fabric in ways that harm us all um, in the long run. Um, and, and I think that, I mean, humanity makes progress when we stop vilifying each other and really try to understand each other. Um, and, and when people like Alex Jones push us in the opposite direction, I, I think he's actually um, moving us away from progress towards human well-being. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because I think, um, and I wasn't trying to um, make this whole thing about about him, but I I think it's a very interesting topic because when I think conspiracy theory, he's the first thing that like pops in my mind. Yeah, uh, I think he's a very very uh, vivid example, so it's worth exploring. Yeah, yeah, right. And and the thing is, I think for his followers, which I don't know if I would say I'm a follower, but I would just say I, I can give you the the perspective of one of his followers. And I think what it comes down to is that the mainstream media and politicians, it's very clear that they all don't necessarily have our best intentions in mind. Sure. Sure. So what Alex Jones talks about a lot is he, and I would say this probably isn't hundred percent, like, of course he's doing some of this for money. Let's be clear. It's just, it's, it's not a charity. So he's doing something for money for sure. But his followers would probably say that, it's not 
mostly about the money. It seems like he really does actually care to bring up the truth. And the reason they would say that is like, and it's arguable to say like, what's enough money, but you know, he's made enough that he doesn't really have to be working anymore. Probably. Um, I don't know. I believe he's made hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so then you could argue, but then that's kind of the same argument with Trump where it's just like, I don't think that's it. You need to dive deeper. You can't just say like one line, like, Oh, Trump doesn't need to be the president. So because of that, everything he does is correct. Right. Whereas the other politician needs the $400,000 a year salary. He gave his away, which means he's always right. That is an inaccurate way of thinking. (laughs) You know? Right. I mean, I mean, the the temperatures in the culture wars have risen alarmingly in recent years, and it's because so many Americans have fallen on, in the thrall of, of people who vilify. Now, I've been saying for years that the American democracy is rigged in favor of the influential and the, and the the rich and the well connected. I mean, that 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 I think that's true, and a better democracy would have much better safeguards against corruption so that our government could serve us ordinary Americans better. Yeah. Um, the, and, and, and I, I'm enough of a fan of Bernie, Bernie Sanders to, to be pleased when, in fact, Joe Rogan tells me he's a fellow Bernie Sanders supporter for similar reasons. Bernie calls out those, the corruption where he sees it and, and tries to argue that we're, that we're better than this. Um, the problem with saying the system is rigged again and again and again and again um, is that it can cause people to become cynical and and it can cause their fears to spiral out of control. So, so to some extent, right, political insiders manipulate American politics to advance selfish private interests over the public interest. That happens all the time. But notice how easily it's, it, it is to s- slide from there to there's a giant conspiracy in Washington. And by the way, it's a bunch of pedophiles in, a, in the basement of a pizza shop. And uh, I better grab my gun and go solve this problem. No, you're right. It does. <laughs> it, it, it goes very far, very quickly. That is for sure. So you have to be careful about the doubts and, and questions you entertain. So my, my academic research is on how questions work to help people think better. Um, and questions are and doubts are a wonderful way to poke, to flag problematic ideas. But when when the when questions become so automatic in your mind that you just uh, or doubts become so automatic that that's not skepticism that's cynicism. And I I'd, I'd argue that a lot of what starts off as admirable critical thinking. Let's look into this and really find out. Let's get to the bottom of this story. You know, you, you go into it with the right attitude and you go down a rabbit hole and before you know it, um, you've become cynical and angry. And and people can't, you can't think clearly when you're cynical and angry. Hmm. Interesting. You're actually, you're shining a light for me because I think like anything government related, I've kind of, maybe that's, uh, I don't know the exact uh, definition of cynical, but I just think anything government related at this point seems to all be uh, with not good intentions. And that's not the right way to think. I know that's not true, but it seems that way. You know, it's, I, I like the fact that you are willing to admit that and acknowledge that it's a, that's a little too simple, right? I mean, it's, it's so tempting to just say, 
politics is all corrupt. Democrats and Republicans are equally corrupt. A pox on all their houses. I'm just going to ignore it. <laughs> right? Um, it, that's, that's tempting because it's a way to kind of wash your hands of the whole thing and saying, I'm above this. But if we don't engage and try to make our democracy work better, then the worst people among us are going to seize the reins of power and, and run it for their private interests. So politics is messy, it's ugly, but we have to engage in it in any way. And I think to some extent, and I've, I, I'm, like, I'm like you on this, Tyler, I've often fallen on, in, under the spell of the idea to hell with all of it. Poli I hate politics. I'm, I'm above politics. I've, I've, I've been there. I've done that. But I think it, I've come to believe that that's kind of a cop-out. Yep. Right? It's a way of saying, let other people worry about the messy, ugly stuff, because I'm too pure for that. Yeah. But if too many people do that, what happens to a democracy? It, it can fail. Yeah. And I think actually on Rogan, they kind of talk about this a lot, that it's that's kind of the issue, right? So they talk about like people they would want to run, right? So I think one person that uh, Rogan mentioned was like Jordan Peterson, whether you like him or not, they're like, mm -hmm. he would be potentially like a good leader in some fashion in politics, but it seems that he doesn't have any interest in politics. So it's like all the people that we would want to be our leader are not crazy enough to get in the political. <laughs> <laughs> so then we're left with the crazy. <laughs> One way to put Put that is that if you if you want power that ought to disqualify you from having power yes yes great way okay but okay agreed now how would we how would we effectively solve that you know that's tough well it, it's a wonderful question and it's a hard one and i, and I don't by any means have uh, the answer, one of my philosophical heroes um, is an ancient Greek philosopher named Socrates. And yeah. his student was a playwright named Plato, who wrote a bunch of really cool dialogues about Socrates. Mm -hmm. Plato thought really hard about this problem for much of his life and talked about it endlessly with a lot of really thoughtful, interesting people. And he came to the conclusion that Societies work best when the wisest among us get to make the decisions. Mm. The way he put that is that he said the philosophers should be kings, <laughs> which doesn't sound, that sounds self-serving, doesn't it? A little bit. <laughs> and as a philosopher, I want to like that idea, but I recognize it's a little bit self-serving. My initial gut was like, yes, I agree, <laughs> but maybe not complete, but yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm happy to have non-philosophers be leaders if they're wise enough and, and they care enough about the common good. For sure. No, me too. Me too. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the book. So as a whole, um, what inspired you to write the book and tell us a little bit about what it's about? Yes. So, so if you, if you look closely at how human minds deal with bad information, um, you see some people who are really good at spotting the bad information and screening it out. Or, or when they find bad information that's already taken root in their minds, they're really good at, at weeding it out and, and chucking it. And then other people are really struggle to, to distinguish good information from bad. They let in a lot of bad stuff and they start um, believing lots of things that aren't true believing lots of things that are actually bad for them, bad for the people around them, bad for their societies. Um, and and it, can, it, it can even 
curdle into something like delusion, right? Or, I mean, whether you're on the left or the right, you can cite examples of places where bad information has caused people to become delusional, right? And and sure. and neither the left nor the right has a monopoly on delusion, right? <laughs> um, but there's this really fascinating new research that basically says that just like our bodies have immune systems that that um, weed out infectious microbes. So your body's immune system, Tyler, is its job is to spot the bad guys and weed them out, like um, COVID um, coronavirus or the influenza virus or smallpox. Your immune system has evolved to spot those th- or it's either it's partially evolved, but it's also learned how to spot things that can harm it and neutralize them. Now, here's the new thing. We've known that for about a, a, a century. Now it turns out that the mind has an immune system that functions in almost exactly the same way to try to spot bad information and neutralize it. Mm. But it doesn't always work very well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we have to learn how to care for our mental immune systems so that we become good at spotting the bad information and and shedding it and to help each and, our, and to help each other spot like so you'll do a much better of spotting my bad ideas cuz i'm blind to the badness of my own ideas right for sure yeah like where where i've have bought into a mistaken assumption or or a myth of some kind political religious whatever you're more likely to spot it than i am and I'm more likely to spot um, the bad ideas that have taken root in your mind. Mm-hmm. So the so the way to get good at this is to listen to other people raise objections to your beliefs, and to take them seriously. Yeah, does that make sense? A hundred percent. And and mm-hmm. I actually didn't really know. Like, I lo- the reason I love doing podcasts. I I always used to just say it was just out of curiosity. But now I'm seeing that what you just said is maybe closer to the truth of why I do it, because mm-hmm. I am, although as we started this, I believe <laughs> this sounds so messed up, but I believe I'm more correct than most. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> maybe everyone does. I don't know. <laughs> hey, but, can, I, can, I just, can I just say something about that? Yeah. Um, psychologists have been able to prove there's something like 90% of people think they're smarter than average. Oh, okay, great. So I'm not crazy. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> or only as crazy as the rest of us. <laughs> oh, that, that's probably more accurate. So, um, but what I mean is like, I am very open, that, like even, and I like having conversations uh, with, uh, with the other side, let's put it that way. And I don't even like to say it that way, because I more like to say like, Hey, and just politics is the easiest way to put it, but you're a Democrat, I'm Republican. My first like gut reaction to that is, oh, you're a Democrat. It's it's not that I don't want to talk to you. It's more, I am so curious as to why you chose that path. Well, and curiosity is a wonderful attitude to have, especially when you run into beliefs that don't make sense to you, right? Yeah. Um, and if you come, so suppose you bump into an idea that seems foreign and wrong to you, um, you can come in just and just say, that's bullshit, like immediately. And 
if you do that, you deprive yourself of a learning opportunity because chances are there's some truth in that idea that offends you so much. So if you come to come at it with curiosity, the way you like to, you're much more likely to learn from the other person and, and make evolve your own thinking to a higher level. 100%. And I think that's why what I've come to realize is like the more data you can collect, meaning like more conversations, more people you work with or whatever it might be, just the more that you can and, and not just more, right? you have to actually be present and listening and taking it in. Yes. Then I've come to find like, it's not that I actually think I know more necessarily. It's more that I just have so many data points that when I talk to people, I'll be triggered. I'm like, oh, that was the 12th. I've done almost like 2000 interviews now, like a lot. So, oh, the 1200th interview, I remember that was Jim and he taught me about this. And it kind of is like stored back there somehow. It's it's a wonderful place. Uh, I mean, it's a cool line of work you're in where you get to kind of learn. So I I read an article about Joe Rogan that said he's basically kind of jacked his mind into the internet because he had a steady stream of like, really impressively interesting thoughtful people if i if i say so myself yeah <laughs> and and um you know i mean that guy it can just like learns through a fire hose now i don't know to what extent so joe has lots of data points you have lots of data points that's part of the battle is to be open enough to collect all those data points but then the challenge becomes how do you weave them together into a sort of a coherent worldview and and that and that's tricky too right because sometimes the, this data doesn't fit with that data and you got to decide which one will I keep and which one will I chuck? And what's the story that, that what's the, how do you get meaning from the data? For sure. No, I agree. And that, that's where those conversations over a few beers happen. And that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> and nothing's better than beer to lubricate. That <laughs> yeah, so I'm curious on like, um, and maybe there's some, uh, well, I'm sure there is in the book, like, what are some of the most uh, like manipulative things that you've come across and whether you can say names, companies, governments, whatever it is, I'm more just interested in like what happened to the people that were manipulated. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so we talked a little bit about how conspiracy theories can manipulate minds Um I've got a colleague and, and a friend who's doing some really interesting stuff on how kind of like um, how peddlers of 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 faux medicines of of uh, fake medicine how they how they peddle their stuff. It's like here's the stuff that they don't want you to know about, and the, <laughs> and, oh, yeah, dude, and that the they is some yeah. sh- shadowy right, <laughs> and then they try to sell you on something that probably won't help you. Um, and yeah. when people are suffering with health issues and they need hope, it's really easy to grab onto something that claims to work. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people out there who will use this fact to take your money. And so, so this friend of mine actually teaches a, a, a course for high school kids and college kids where, sh- where the students get to design their own fake advertising campaign, their own manipulative advertising campaign. That's pretty cool. It's like so, so, you, so you, you teach you teach kids, you give them some of the tricks, and then you say, "Okay, here's the medicine you have to sell. It doesn't really work, but you need to make it look like it works." And how are you going to sell people? And the kids get together in groups and they brainstorm and they come up with stuff and they draw their own, you know, storyboards and everything. 
And the, and the process of doing that, like imagining how you would snooker other people to, and part of them from their money helps to strengthen your own mind's immune system so that other people can't do it to you. Ah, and then there's the, the couple rare ducks that use it for bad, right? <laughs> I was just having this conversation with um, the, the woman who came up with this approach. It's called active inoculation. Um, it's, it's a process where you, you engage kids in an activity that, that's fun, but that basically inoculates them by heightening their sensitivity to certain manipulation techniques. Yeah. Her, her experience is that it's overwhelmingly positive in its, in, in its effects. But if some of her students go on to, to serve evil with these same tricks that they're losing, could happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we could both potentially agree that not, and I don't know this uh, teacher at all, so I want to be clear on that, but that, you know, she would obviously like that to be the truth too, right? So that might be a little skewed. Well, so that, that makes it worth watching. I mean, I think if I were going to do something like that in the classroom, um, I, I take a, I've taken a slightly different approach to sort of teaching critical thinking in my, in my philosophy courses over the years. But if I did use that technique, and I'm dying to try it uh, on a class, you know, I'd, you'd have the fun part where you're actually um, playing at manipulating other people. But then you do a debrief afterwards where you have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with the kids about, you know, um, you know, how did that make you feel? And, you know, how would you feel if somebody used this technique to, to swindle you out of thousands of dollars, right? So there are ways to kind of engage people's moral sensibilities so that they don't just stay in the manipulative mindset. The idea is to give them a taste of what it's like to manipulate others so that you can be better at spotting other people's manipulations and less likely to do it yourself. Yeah. See, that's what's so interesting with advertising and sales is I found, um, so, cause I've been running a company for, since I was 12 years, I keep saying, cause my birthday just happened. So since I was 19 and my first thing that I started to be like hungry for learning was advertising and sales, right? Cause that's like kind of the, you know, you need to have a good product and service. Obviously that's the core, yeah. but above that you need good marketing and sales. And you always hear like, salespeople make the most money, like all these things. So I just went down this whole pathway mm -hmm. and I came to this. It's an interesting thing because it, it feels like sales feels sleazy to me. Like it feels, and the techniques they teach, like one, I can think of that. I won't say his name, but he just taught this. I saw it on a YouTube and I'm certain that it works because it makes complete sense mm -hmm. is essentially, if you want somebody to believe something, you first like give a confession. Right. So meaning like this, so say of like, mm. uh, I can give an example. So you'd be like, oh, here, I'll use an example. So say like if Burger King wanted to sell their burgers, they would first say, hey, look, I want to be honest with you. We do not have the best French fries like we don't. There's other places. Their fries are better. But one thing that is not even considerable as an argument, our burgers are better than everyone in town. It's not even a discussion. And people will believe the second statement more because of that honorable confession that first happened. That makes sense to me. Right. right. So, and you could use that in bad ways. Right. I mean, because yeah. it's messed up a little bit. <laughs> well, and, right. and it's interesting here, right? Because um, there's, there are plenty of non-manipulative ways to try to influence other people. 
Like if you try to inspire other people, that's not necessarily manipulation. Beautiful if you way. try to teach somebody else. So, I mean, especially when you're, I mean, I think all good teachers develop a pretty clear sense of the difference between teaching and indoctrination. I mean, there, there are, a, I think, a vanishingly small number of people in the teaching profession who want to indoctrinate people or, yeah. who, or who do, in fact, indoctrinate people because they're confused about the difference between teaching and indoctrination. But in my experience, people who go into the teaching profession are overwhelmingly concerned to actually open minds and help people think for themselves. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I, um, by the way, what I was mean is just like books and courses that I had taken. Um, not like professors and stuff, but like, I just think, and, and to go further, what I've concluded with my business is after going through all these tactics and everything, it basically just came down to honesty, like just getting on the phone and literally just asking the customer, like, what are you trying to get out of this? And if what they say is something I can deliver, then I'm like, okay, well we can do that. Here's how, if you want to become a client, you can. And if we can't deliver, I just say, we're not a good fit. And that seems to work fine. So, I, as, as, a, as a guy who's spent more time teaching ethics than selling stuff, I can approve. I can give that the ethical stamp of approval. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And like what I, cause I've had feedback on it. A lot of times I get feedback and it's because it is what it is. People will literally say like, I actually had somebody say, you sold me by not trying to sell me. Right. So, and then what's kind of freaky about that is then it gets in my head and then I'm like, oh, this is a tactic. <laughs> so if you want to sell something, act like you're not trying to sell it. And then they buy it. <laughs> and it's it's easy to get, uh, yeah, it can become a hall of mirrors when you think about yeah. this. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, hopefully people got something out of that. <laughs> so if you want to sell things, <laughs> there's two ways to do it. Yeah. Um, well, I think if you... So, so imagine, I mean, let's just take some, a couple clear cases, right? So it's easy that there, there's some subtle gray area space where you're doing a little bit of selling, but also more just, or honest selling versus, and it, it can bleed, one can bleed into the other. But there also just remember, there, there are clear cases. If I try to swindle you out of your money, and I don't care if that makes you worse off, that's unethical selling. Yeah. Right. But if I um, want to help you acquire something that might make your life better and, and sell you in honestly believing that it's a win-win for both sides, there's nothing ethically problematic about that. Agreed. Now, wait, let's talk about this, right? Because this is where this gets interesting is, and th these are some books that I've read. And actually, I think there's one, but again, I don't want to say names on this because this is just my take on things. But yeah. there was one book I read that was like, as long as you, and maybe this passes the ethics stamp, I want to see, but basically it was like, as long as you believe your product or service is going to help the other person, you can use any manipulation that you want because the outcome is good, right? So as long as that's true, any way you get them there doesn't matter. Now, I think that's flawed. I don't agree with that. <laughs> tell, tell me why. Okay, well, because it's based upon what you think is good, which could be flawed in itself. Okay. So that's, and I think we all kind of believe our own BS in a sense, right? And whether we're aware of it or not, some are literally trying to take advantage and others truly believe. Okay, I want to be very clear. I think this guy is great, but just an example that's coming to mind would be like Tony Robbins, 
right? And I want to be clear. I've never heard that. Like, he seems amazing. I haven't been to his things. His books are awesome. Mm -hmm. But I would say maybe that logic could be flawed there that, like, he certainly is dead set on believing that his practices will change your life. Yes. So because of that, and I'm not saying that he's done this, but I'm just saying because of his overwhelming belief in that, I would guess that maybe he would consider doing anything to get somebody to go there because he knows that it will change their life. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's tough. I don't know. What do you <laughs> So um yeah, this that, that sets off a an avalanche of of, of thoughts. Um I, a, a friend of mine uh, teaches uh, in the business at in, at the University of California, Berkeley, and he's just and he wrote a book about how to calibrate your confidence to the evidence. And he and he opens his book by telling a story about how he sort of fell under Tony Robbins's, but he he really became impressed with Tony Robbins and that what Tony Robbins, the inspiration that Tony was handling out, really spoke to him. But then he talked about an evolution away from the idea that more confidence is always better. So, so there are a bunch of people who basically say, if you just have more confidence in yourself, you'll you can succeed. There's it's kind of that's a little bit self-helpy. Mm-hmm. Tony, I think, does some of that, and sometimes he inspires people to really make their lives better. But there's a, but there are risks associated with that message, right? Because sometimes people end up blaming themselves if if things don't go, if they if they're not successful in the way they'd hoped. Mm-hmm. Like if I only had my shit together, I, of course I'd be as successful as Tony Robbins, but I guess I'm inferior or whatever. Yeah, right. So I I, I don't I don't know Tony's stuff well enough to to say. Yeah. I, I do. I'm somewhat skeptical of the whole kind of positive thinking is all you need to be successful. Stuff. I do know. I'm, I'm aware that positive thinking can sometimes make the difference between success and failure, but it's not the only factor, and you can't emphasize that factor to the exclusion of all others. Definitely, definitely. So then, and also though, to the to the initial point though, because I'm curious, like, how would you? I don't know if Cal diagnose or how, how would you? Um, look at that equation of it, it let's just actually say that it wasn't a belief it was certain right like let's just say it's like um like somebody is dying of hunger and for some reason they don't like they won't eat food right okay. the only way for them to live is to eat the food at the end so the only and the only way to get them there is to unfathomably manipulate them into thinking that this is a good idea. So that we can both agree. It's not a belief. It's certainty that if this person doesn't eat food in the next couple of days, they're dead. So in that case, manip- any manipulation you can think of should be okay. Right. I, I, I think uh, I, I can probably imagine a few counterexamples, but, but yes, I, but for the, for the majority of cases of the kind you're talking about, Yes. I mean, so manipulate, so lying to somebody to save their lives, just to simplify it down. Yeah, yeah perfect. Can often be, the, often be the right thing to do. Ah, okay, cool. And that passes the ethical stamp? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think, so um, one, one example philosophers use on this is, imagine you're harboring Jews in your basement and the Nazis come to, the Gestapo comes to the door and says, do you have any Jews in your basement? I don't know about you, but I'm lying to them. <laughs> right? Or at least, or at least, I hope I'd have the courage to lie to them. 
I agree. No, I just had that the movie. I think it's Inglorious Bastards or whatever. It's that first scene there. So I was envisioning <laughs> and okay, it don't, don't know the movie. well for them. So that's why I was thinking. That. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So it's easy to imagine cases where um, you can serve a larger good by by being less than completely honest, and and maybe you can, and 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 being dishonest is a is a form of mind manipulation. Yeah. Like so, so, and here here's a I think a benign form of of uh, being less than completely honest. I, I want to get a kid interested in in physics, and so I tell a super oversimplified story about relativity theory and how space and time can bend. Now I, I simplify it to the point where it's just dead wrong. But it works to get this kid excited about it and makes him go on to study physics. Teachers do that kind of thing all the time. They give a simplified version of reality, mm. which is technically isn't quite right, but it's, but it's enough to s- scaffold up your understanding. Yeah, that makes sense. That's so interesting. That's why I love talking about this stuff, because it really isn't black and white. Like it is kind of, but it's not. Meaning, And this is what I would maybe argue... Another big thing that I'm curious on your thoughts in is like a lot of people, a lot of discussions I have about politics is are the the politicians that either you or or I think are not doing the right thing. Is it ill intentioned or is it by accident? And obviously it's a case by case basis. But the argument of that it's ill intentioned is it's like, okay, if you made it that high in politics, you're not dumb. Like you can't be. I mean, it would be unlikely, right? That you, it just, that would be unlikely. So if that, if that's the case, then the decisions you're making that are harmful to others down the line would, you would say are probably ill-intentioned. Yeah. So you're, you're constructing an argument here and it's an interesting one that anybody who gets sufficiently far in politics has to play kind of a corrupt game and therefore they ascend to their position of power with corrupt intent and so that uh, that barring sufficient reason to the contrary, we should be distrustful of politicians. <laughs> yeah, I think this is where we started, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so like all good conversations, <laughs> we looked back on it. Um, yeah. But but well, so so yes. Um, I mean, look, there's a certain amount of just having to play the money-raising game to succeed in American politics, and you got to kiss up to people, and you have to promise people things to to get enough money to win public office. And oftentimes that makes, makes our office holders compromised. Yeah. Right, they're, they're, they're beholden to special interests and they're gonna put those interests of their donors ahead of the interests of the people they're supposed to serve. And that's a structural problem with the way elections work in America. And it's one that makes me cynical about, about our, sorry, it makes me despair about our country's future. But I've also become aware that how easy that is to become kind of cynical to the point where you're no longer part of the solution, but instead you're just washing your hands of it and you become part of the problem. For so sure. I'll caution you. I mean, I think you, your argument is an interesting one. It's worth thinking about. It's worth yeah. paying attention to. And it's a more complicated than that. Yeah, and like don't bail out, like stay involved, basically. Yeah. And and sometimes you have to vote for the lesser of two evils, even if it doesn't. Yeah. Right. So it is a it seems to me that like 
with our current like the system is broken the foundation's broken that's the core problem and then we as humans are put in tough situations and we can all agree i i agree with what you just said that like how easy would it be to to be young and be like i want to change the world i want to be the president right and have good intentions and then your first and i don't know all the uh, rankings but you get to your first ranking and you realize very quickly that to get to the second one you have to do something corrupt and then it's an internal battle well it's like okay if i do five corrupt things i'll get to the top and then i'll start doing the good things and, <laughs> you know and that's i could see very easily how you could be caught up in that that would not be hard to be caught up in that as they say power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely exactly and the only other thing I wanted to, I could actually talk to you for like hours because um, I love philosopher talk and stuff like this. It's fun. Oh, no, not so, everybody does. But it's, oh my God, it's my favorite. Dude. So <laughs> like, um, the other thing I was thinking about is like, I could see how, as we were talking about like the swindlers, like, and, and like the people that would um, get your money or like the people that would sell the products, um, like yeah. whatever it is. The argument I could see on that is it's like, is the argument of you have a family and then you have the people outside your family. Okay. The family's struggling. So in your mind, you people can rationalize anything, right? And this is where you kind of believe your own BS. Mm -hmm. so the argument of the crook, let's say, and that would be a very direct thing. Like you're literally stealing. I'm not talking about like, yeah. I'm just talking straight up. Like, you know, your product sucks, but you know that people are buying it and you're stealing. Yep. But you could still argue that like you weren't able to feed your family, but now you are. And even though you're doing it in the wrong way, your family is better off because of this. Now, we can both agree that's wrong. But for the person doing it, they value their family over people they don't know. And that's where it becomes interesting. It's like, okay, what if it was literally life and death? Like their family couldn't eat the only way. But then you could say, go get a job at McDonald's. It's well, <laughs> no, no, you're right. I mean, um, I think uh, it was the novelist Sinclair Lewis or something who said it's very hard to get a man to not to understand something if his job depends on his not understanding it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Or his income like depends on right. Yeah, no, I get exactly what you meant. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I mean, but and and of course, just refusing to understand is only one kind of moral compromise. There are many others, as, as you point out. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, uh, yeah, I'd have to have a certain amount of sympathy for the guy who, who went ahead and sold addictive opioids because his own family needed to, because he needed to put food on his own family's table. But if the guy's selling addictive opioids so that he can buy a second limousine and, um, and a beach house, no. Nah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're we're on the same page. That makes sense. <laughs> um, so yeah, man. No, I had fun uh, talking with you. I, I know we kind of went a little bit off topic, but um, oh, dude, that's so <laughs> sorry. Because <laughs> I I did scan through uh, your stuff, but now I'm just looking back and in your description here, I forgot that it said this. It says the flat uh, flat Earth is bad. <laughs> so, dude, I actually saw a youtube video of a guy i can't remember his name he made some good arguments i'm just saying <laughs> for, for, for there being a flat earth yeah, yeah i don't believe it but it was damn convincing <laughs> I 
so look, I, you said confessions can sometimes yeah. um, can help people win people over. Yeah. I remember watching a, a movie about how the moon landing was faked um, 30 years ago and thinking, holy crap, it was fake. That was really convincing. And now I know better. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've been there. I think we, I think everybody's been fooled by this kind of thing, right? And, sure. you know, and, and one of the important takeaways there is humility. We all need to be humble and willing to acknowledge how susceptible we are to bad information. Yeah. No, and that's kind of what you talk about. I think you're right. That is the first step of like, is actually getting out of how we start of how I was saying I'm normally right. Right. Like getting out of that bullshit circle and being like, who cares if I'm that's the ego talking, who cares if I'm more right or less right, but rather accepting the fact that in any situation I could be right or wrong, both are equally available and I just need to be fully open to either option. Yeah. And, and, and uh, another or related point would be, it's great to feel right. But just because you feel right doesn't mean you are right. And 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 if you and and real rightness is objective, not subjective. Mm. No, yeah, I, I'm right. gonna cry myself to sleep tonight about this. <laughs> All the things I thought I was right on apparently are out the window. You're still uh, smiling though, you're still laughing. I'll be okay. okay. <laughs> um well, no, dude, thank you for coming on. I want to leave it to you. If there's anything we didn't cover that you want to talk about, please do. And then uh, uh, like book, website, all that stuff. Yeah, I'll just mention um, my current work. Um, the, the book you mentioned came out a year, year and a half ago, um, started off on Joe Rogan's podcast. But the response to it has convinced me to invest a lot of time and effort in this really exciting new approach to combating mis and disinformation. And it involves helping everybody develop stronger defenses against, against in part, malicious information, so that we, so that our society isn't um, constantly torn apart by self-interested um, purveyors of nonsense. That's a good way to say that. <laughs> so wait, wait uh, what's the title again of the book? Oh, yeah. Sorry. The, so the nonprofit, the, the Research Institute, we'll call it CIRCE, C-I-R-C-E. Um, and you can find us on, uh, on online at cognitiveimmunology.net. And, and you can learn, learn more about this really exciting new science and this fantastic new way to help everybody think, think more clearly and better. Perfect, man. Thank you for coming on again. Hey, my pleasure, Tyler. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you.